Welcome back, everyone, to Dapper Dialogues, a podcast, um, essentially a bit of a hobby of mine, really, where we discuss current affairs within fashion, within the sartorial world, and just kind of give our give our views on what's been going on the last week. I am joined today by the sartorial bishop. Introduce yourself. Well, hello, this is Bishop Kai Dewar, and uh, affectionately nicknamed by yours truly there, Mr. Sonny Grant, as the sartorial bishop. And ironically, it's a moniker that stuck because uh, last week I did a national radio interview across Australia and they introduced me as the sartorial bishop, the sacramental sartorialist. So thank you for that, sir. Well, as they should, quite right. Before we kick off, why don't you give us a bit of an introduction, tell us who you are, what your background is. Oh, I don't think we've got that long on the podcast, have we? Um, <laughs> we could be here for quite a time. I, I'm a, a former Anglo-Catholic turned evangelical, uh, now a bishop in a communion of 7,000 plus churches in nine different countries. I am the general secretary of that communion, and uh, I have had a lifelong passion and love of all things sartorial was uh, I think I was about 14 when I got my first made-to-measure suit. It was a black-and-white Prince of Wales check, double-breasted. I, I was young, naive, knew nothing, and picked a winter-weight uh, wool for what was essentially a summer suit. Um, and I spent the rest of that summer sweating like I don't know what, wearing it. Um, but since then, I've developed my passion really honed my personal style to um, quintessentially British tailoring. Um, I'm not a great fan of the uh, Neapolitan heresies and and variations of of, uh, of Florentine tailoring, and especially not that, well, no, I, I shouldn't say things like that, should I? I, I? Certainly not the way the Americans tailor their garments. Uh, it, 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 to me, is Savile Row style or nothing else but very, very traditional. And uh, as most of my friends w would uh, attest to, I probably dress like someone that was, should have been around in the days of, of uh, Bertram Wilberforce Worcester and, uh, and Hercule Poirot rather than dressing to fashions. I, I really don't like dressing to fashion. So yeah, so I have a lifetime of clerical and sartorial knowledge. I used to be involved in a tailoring company called A. Ralph Lewis, uh, which was a, a couple of Americans and myself. The tailor was based in Hong Kong. So very modern um, fashion style garments and suits. And, and I wrote my first ever book, which was a 28 page uh, little book on what one would experience in commissioning a bespoke garment, uh, finding a tailor, working with a tailor, how to care for your garments, what 20 items I thought were essential in every man's wardrobe. Um, and just a few little bits and bobs like that. So yeah, lifelong passion. Well, we are we are honoured to have you as our guest today. Jumping right in, we I'm trying a new segment called Explain That Instagram Post. Uh, I need to come up with a better name, but that's what I've got so far. I stole this one from a YouTube channel called Hot Ones, actually, where people get interviewed whilst eating uh, increasingly spicy hot sauces. <laughs> so I thought... It looked good, so we'll try it. But I won't get, I won't subject you to any hot sauce. Don't worry. So you you've got the post in front of you. I've got the post as well. I'll put it up on the screen for everyone else. But uh, why don't you why don't you walk us through this kind of wonderful outfit that you're wearing? Well, this was taken on my wedding day. 
I got married two years ago. I, uh, my father tells everybody I was a late starter because I was in my mid-40s when I got married, having never been married before. My wife, for those uh, that can see, my wife looks stunning in her dress. But I, when, when my wife and I agreed to get married, I had um, two very specific requests. One, that we got married in church, obviously, so that we could uh, immediately go to the altar for the Eucharist following the exchange of our vows and the signing of the necessary documents to become husband and wife and that I got to pick what the groomsmen wear because I wanted us in traditional morning attire. I, I'm i not a big lover of modern trends where men just wear, you know, fashion suits for weddings or, um, or variations on morning dress, which are just to me sacrilege, I think is a, the, the, the clerical way of putting it. And I was I was very very specific in um, in exactly how I wanted us all to look. My wife was stunned at just how specific I was. And this is a very to me is a very traditional take on morning dress. Um, not quite the full blown um, uh, you know wing collar with the the um, ascot tie or the, or a cravat, but I wanted a a, a kind of um, modern esque look um something that's been around since probably the late 40s early 50s where we swapped out the wing collar shirts and began to wear regular shirts or or end on end shirts so this is a a uh, savile row end on end shirt it is a blue and white pinstripe with white collar and matching cuffs very cheekily and quite quite uh unkeeping with a traditional style it is monogrammed on the cuff i know everybody tells me it should have been monogrammed on uh, uh, somewhere around the breast pocket or certainly on the the uh, lower placket or of the of the uh, shirt but i uh, that's the only thing that you could say about me that is what uh, a little showy is that i like the the monogram on my cuff above the watch halfway up the cuff um, it also helps me remember that's the line where my jacket sleeve should sit comfortably um, on my shirt, which I like. Uh, I wore a, a wool double-breasted dove gray waistcoat, very traditional. It was, uh, I believe, if memory serves me rightly, I believe it was, where did I get the tie? It'll come back to me in a second. But the tie was black and white houndstooth. Um, also from, uh, that was from German Street, uh, Charles Tirrett, that's where I got the tie from. And then uh, a traditional black morning jacket because we got married after one o'clock in the afternoon with black and gray pinstripe trousers, black Oxfords, and uh, over the calf, black silk socks to match. Uh, very good. Shoes. So very, very traditional, very, uh, the kind of thing that one would quite, quite uh, comfortably and and easily fit in if one was at Royal Ascot or at a royal wedding or various um, other events that one would require traditional morning attire. I did wear a top hat only for the, the photographs because I am quite tall anyway at six foot four, but I opted not to go for a plain black top hat, thinking that probably a little too formal for the wedding. So we took a, uh, I, I took a gray um, fur felt um, Christie's top hat with a black uh, silk crepe hat band and I did 
very, very cheekily sneak in the dove gray uh, gloves, which complemented it perfectly. And everybody couldn't understand why I was stood at my own wedding with a gentleman's walking um, umbrella. But following the wedding, as we emerged from the church, they were all thankful that I did because it did start to rain a little bit. So I wanted a quintessentially uh, classic look, little modern variation with the, the shirt and the, the um, modern tie. But it, to me, it was the perfect look for a wedding. Now, I say that why I wanted that kind of modern look. I'm not a big fan of of cravats and ascots. I never have been. I was recently at, uh, at a wedding where I was best man. We wore charcoal grey morning attire that day. But we had um, a cravat uh, instead of a necktie with a wing collar. I traditionally tied it in the, um, the pre-1930s. Um, fashion, as opposed to making it look like a ruffled tie, uh, which is the modern trend. Um, but I just think it, it's the, the the ascot is the ascot for me is something you wear around the neck, underneath a shirt. I don't particularly like it in full blown morning attire. I agree. Well, the outfit looks wonderful. Speaking of ascot, we have we've just had ascot. What a what a spectacular ascot it's been, to be honest. We were we were having a conversation earlier before the podcast, and and you were saying that the the royal has certainly been put back into the royal box at Ascot this year. Some spectacular outfits on display, particularly I think uh, the Prince and Princess of Wales looked exceptional. Uh, the Princess of Wales in her red Alexander McQueen dress with the the lovely kind of matching hat. What what are your takes on some of the outfits that we've seen at Ascot? Uh, uh, this week I posted on social media and I said that the fashions were high and so were the top hats. It was wonderful to see uh, so many traditional style top hats, you know, the slightly taller hat, and to see so many uh, vintage hats making a, uh, for the men I'm talking about, making a comeback at Ascot to see uh, the silks that were available in top hats because, of course, you've not been able to... Uh, to buy silk top hats since the, the, the early 60s when the, the factory that made them in France went up in flames. Um, so to see so many reconditioned vintage top hats was wonderful. The fashions for the ladies, the, some of the dresses were absolutely incredible. The hats out of this world. But some of the gentlemen did leave a lot to be desired. Yes. There was an awful lot. You know, the king always looks resplendent, and rightly so because he's appearing before two o'clock, always has been seen at Royal Ascot wearing a grey. Now, when he was younger, it used to be more charcoal grey, which um, ironically, um, Prince Michael of Kent is still a particular favourite of, and and his only appearance at Ascot this week in the Royal Box, he was wearing his um, traditional um, charcoal grey morning suit. Um, Paired it this time with a if I remember, I, I believe he paired it with a dove grey waistcoat. He normally wears the sand Irish linen mm. waistcoat with it, but looked immaculate. And for a man in his 80s, Prince Michael of Kent is immaculately dressed, always has been. But the king looked absolutely resplendent. Um, light grey, wool and, and mohair mix, um, Anderson and Shepherd morning suit, changed his waistcoat midway through the week. Beautiful array of of shirts with the stiffened collar, and the, the pairings of the ties and the pocket squares were just 
on another level. I know at one point they were talking about the bookies taking bets on um, what color his ties would be, like we used to take bets on what color the Queen's hat used to be. But even Her Majesty the Queen Camilla, she looks stunning. She she went the very muted tones, very plain, and it it just set her off. She she complimented His Majesty perfectly without stealing his limelight and um it, it was just a beautiful thing although saying that as i said there were some shocking moments i i did see one gentleman wearing a two-tone gray light gray waistcoat and jacket with charcoal gray trousers and brown shoes brown shoes or, and Scott. as reverend calvin robertson would say shame yes degeneracy shame. Uh, yeah. but then then sported a black top hat so I'm uh, I'm surprised some of the stewards didn't didn't stop the young gentleman and inform him you can't come in here dressed like that, which you know twenty years ago, ten years ago they probably would have. And then one of the ITV pundits, Matt, uh, he paired his morning suit with black and and white chalk stripe trousers, which was interesting. Um, it's not something I haven't seen before, but certainly not something I wouldn't equate with being at Ascot but then added black and white spectator shoes to the outfit. Now, I assume he got away with that for the fact that he was on the television, but, you know, the Ascot dress code for Royal, uh, for Royal Ascot, the meeting, specifically states the kind of shoes a man should wear. But even if there wasn't that, the, a spectator is not the shoe you wear in morning attire. It's always been a black, you know, Oxford toe cap shoe. Or if you don't like that, I, I've seen the morning attire worn with a black hole cut, which I don't think looks, although the, the hole cut is a more formal shoe, I don't think it looks as formal when you pair it with a hole cut. But black and white spectators, no. Absolutely there seems not. To be this, there seems to be this roaring fashion now of who can wear the most garish and vibrantly colored socks, which... You know, for a wedding, uh, that's fine. I've worn garishly blue socks uh, uh, when I was best man at a wedding. Not the kind of thing that I would do. Certainly not in, even if you were in the Windsor enclosure or, or even in the Queen Anne, maybe, but certainly not in the Royal enclosure at Royal Ascot when their majesties were present. So it's been great to see the the the, the, the morning attire back in full force because, of course, we haven't had a proper Ascot meet for three years last year was a little subdued being post pandemic the year before they were racing to empty stands and and no enclosures at all so um so yes it was good to see ascot back in full force back in full swing better than ever i know they've reduced the numbers and have decided to keep their numbers reduced now for the better experience over volume of of uh, participants but there's no racing meet and no country in the world that does full-blown morning dress in the height of summer like we do here in Britain at Royal Ascot. And it was just, for me, the pinnacle of the real height of the summer season uh, as we know it. And um, I'm truly excited for next year's. In fact, uh, I think next year you and I should venture down for at least one of those days. Absolutely. And do some reporting for the podcast um at that point so yeah it was a great ascot absolutely great and i love it i i to be honest i i would probably dress in morning attire most days i think i would as well (laughs) there's just something about it it's 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 beyond the pomp and circumstance it is the it i 
you probably understand what I mean. It forces you to carry yourself differently. And it's not because you got to wear a top hat. Just putting on the morning suit because of the formality of it, it, it really forces you to, to, to carry your stature differently, to stand differently. Because if you don't hold yourself well in it, you can look absolutely scruffy and, and out of place from the get-go. And that's not something that, you know, you want to do. But there was a few people there. I thought we, we better start giving lessons in shining shoes. Well, indeed. I mean, it's one of those things that's that's quintessentially British, I suppose. And it was it was quite good to see the king and and queen stepping into that role quite well. I did actually see one royal faux pas. Zara Tyndall was wearing a blue dress with a green hat. Now, there are people across the land who would cry at the thought of blue and green being worn together. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know if you've seen the outfit. I thought that it looked a bit interesting, we'll say. I've never I've never been one to to put criticism onto the royal family. So so we'll leave well, it there. But <laughs> Zara's always been one that, that likes to stand out from the crowd anyway. She certainly and, did that. She certainly did do that. People forget her mother used to do very similar things back when she was younger. Um, I've seen the outfit. I was a bit taken back by it, but somehow it did seem to work and everything in me said that shouldn't work but it, it didn't take away from the hat didn't take away from the dress and vice versa she looked fabulous every day that she was there and ironically saying that whoever is tailoring for mike tyndall her husband the way that they tailored his morning attire for this week because he wore both black and gray you know the gray. Uh, I I looked at it and I was, I was pretty sure the gray three piece he wore was also Anderson and Shepherd. It had very very similar cut to His Majesty's, but it just went to prove that no matter how big you are, a well tailored suit of whatever style can really make a man look something without the suit being overpowering. He looked absolutely proper and mike tyndall's a big fella you know i've met mike back when he used to play for england i met um, zara many many years ago and um, before they i think they were just starting to date at the time but he really looked a dapper gentleman and the cut on his morning suit was absolutely perfect i'm not sure i couldn't tell which house had made the the black but i was a I, I, let's say i was about 80 percent certain that the the gray was definitely anderson shepherd it had that that house look about it that the Kings does, and that's quintessentially Anderson and Shepherd, and has been for thirty plus years that they've been tailing for His Majesty. Yeah, I'm looking at the black now. I can't, I can't tell. It doesn't look very Anderson Shepherd. And actually, I think that the, the trousers on the black leave leave some something to be desired. There's a, they're a very strange cut, actually. The grey looked lovely, but just looking at the black now, it looks a bit odd around the neck as well. I, th I think the black is, looking at it in great depth, I would hazard a guess to say I think the black is quite possibly off the rack rather than tailored. It, it doesn't seem to fit where it should. That's what I want to say, but then part of me is thinking, well, would would Mike Tyndall wear off the rack? I mean, is that... Yeah, because Mike, Mike's worn off the rack suits for many, many years. I think that he would have made... I, I, especially now his uncle is king 
seeing it because I've never seen never seen Mike Tyndall at, at Ascot at, before in anything other than than black and and pinstripe morning trousers. So to see him this year in grey, which is you know almost identical in colour to the King, that's what immediately drew my attention to. The colour is such a perfect match. This definitely looks like an Anderson and Shepherd fabric. But then looking at the cut of the the jacket, looking at the lapels, just the way they've molded it. Like I said, Mike is a big fella. The way they've molded it around him, there was every every bit to me the the the, the potential that that's an Anderson and Shepard. And I, mm. I could be completely wrong. It's purely speculation. It's just there are so many attributes of it. I, I compared them side by side. I, I took two pictures, you know, Tyndall and His Majesty, and looked at them and. And the the similarities, there's too many for it, in my opinion, to not be Anderson and Shepard. But it's purely speculation. I will, could stand to be corrected. For all I know, it's some Dior monstrosity off the rack or something, or or it's a, a off the rack that he's had a, a, an alterations tailor take in. I just thought, whatever, however they've gone about getting that grey suit, and whoever's taken it in, they've done a fantastic job, far better than has been done. On the grey, which uh, the, on the black that he wore, which leads me to think that the black is is more off the rack. And if you if you look at the trousers, they they tending to lean towards that kind of over tailored, slim fit look that's currently fashion. The I'm just looking at the black suit in a bit more depth. The the trousers definitely look like the the pattern looks like a a Laura Piana fabric in the the events bunch any tailors out there who have the the current laura piana lineup look in the events bunch and yeah those those trousers look almost identical actually i'm just trying to zoom in they look almost identical to what's currently in the the swatch book for the events bunch um, i made a pair of those the other day actually yeah i mean i've noticed i've no- I think this is just a sign of the times but i've noticed that the the dress code is less strict than it used to be there's there were some very interesting outfits that I didn't think were were ascot ready, but they were let in, so clearly they are. And I suppose that kind of segues quite nicely into the the next topic that we're going to discuss is kind of the whole dress down Friday society that we live in, and and you know what whatever happened to the suit, whatever happened to every man and woman having a tailor and. You know, everyone going to work in a in, in a suit looking looking really good. Whatever happened to that? I, I the casual Fridays were the the beginning of the end. Yeah, of men looking smart to go to work, and and to me it, it's it's a bane in the workplace, and it's a bane on. It's become a bane on society. The moment you, the moment to me, in my opinion, the moment you remove a reason for a man to look like a gentleman you begin to erode the fabric of what makes men men in my in my opinions now that said my opinions are formulated on very traditional beliefs and very traditional styles so i don't like casual fridays my outfit today is about as casual as i get i you know i have a pair of of khakis on with a linen blazer and a linen shirt this is summer casual for me i don't own polo shirts the, the only t-shirts i own are the ones that i sleep in and i i have one pair of shirt uh, one pair of shorts which are linen and tailored i own two pairs of jeans and i normally wear them when i'm doing work around the house or uh, 
I think once or twice I've worn them to a, a kind of informal event. I think the, the, this whole thing of casualizing how we we dress for work has had an effect on casualizing attitudes, which has led to a, a mass casualization of society in general. When men used to dress to go to work, it had an effect on the workplace. It had effect on the mindset of the individual. And I know that you know, this whole advent of, oh, suits are boring and, and dressing up is ridiculous. And this was the advent of the, you know, the Steve Jobs and the Mark Zuckerbergs of this world and, and you know, the Apples and the Facebooks where we want everything casual. And, and then that attitude goes from the way we dress into the way we work. And now most people don't even want to go to work anymore because we want to work remote or we want to work from home. And and um, my wife and I are going through this discussion at the moment. Me having to work from home for the last two or three years has been one of the most unproductive things I've ever done to the point that this week alone, we've began to look for an office for me to rent to physically go somewhere. And yet in the early days of the pandemic, when we were all forced to stay at home and most people were working in their pajamas, you know, and sitting in their pajama trousers with their shirt and their jacket on for their, their Zoom calls and their live streams, I still put a three-piece suit and a shirt and a tie on every day. And I did so for about nine months. My work changed after that where I wasn't, ha I wasn't having to do two or three broadcasts every day and, and, you know, Zoom calls and interviews and all that lot. But I made the effort, although I couldn't go anywhere, I couldn't do anything and I was working from home, I made the effort to still dress as if I was going to the office. Because in my work, it's, you know, if I'm not in a, a suit and a shirt and a tie, I'm in a suit and a clerical collar or I'm in a cassock. I have to put on, on a formal style of, of dress. And that's something I like to carry about me as much as I can. I, I just think that whole casual Fridays, which has now become casual workplace, it's, it's caused a mindset shift that is detrimental to the way in which we as men carry ourselves. And I get that not everybody shares that opinion. I had this conversation, ironically, just about a week ago with a gentleman who was stood there in shorts and T-shirt when he was telling me how much he missed the days when men dressed to go to work. And ironically, wow. the, the gentleman that, uh, that was you know, doing the, the seminar that we were attending at the time was stood there. Now, he had black brogues on. That's fine. He had a short sleeve casual shirt, but he had, he, he had black cargo trousers on and I just thought well those shoes don't go with those trousers for a start that trousers doesn't go with that shirt and that is a modern picture of the you know it's we took the reason to dress out of the workplace and the effect of it is now people just don't have a care so it's wear whatever you want dresser and and that to me is not how I choose to live as a man. I don't dress for other people. I dress for myself. And if I don't dress in a particular way, my mind becomes lazy. My attitude becomes lazy, which means my work is going to be lazy on top of it. So I think we, I think we're, we're suffering greatly because of the way in which men are now deporting themselves in the workplace and beyond. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think there is a direct correlation between the way we dress and and the way we live our lives and kind of our attitudes. And I think we were always heading towards a more casual way of living, a more casual way of dressing. But the pandemic just kind of 
escalated that beyond belief, accelerated the kind of speed at which it happens. For me, dressing smartly is is uniform. Suits are uniform for me. They're they're not, you know, I've I've always had an interest in in tailoring and sartorial wares, but for me I have no choice. Having said that, I think if I did have a choice, I'd still opt to wear smart clothes. And I have seen a kind of I suppose a general shift towards people just caring less in general. And part of that is their clothing, right? But they they just don't really care about much anymore. People are caring less about things that you and I care about or things that, you know, our our forefathers cared about. And I've also noticed that people kind of live in this online space where they can kind of paint themselves to be whoever they want to be because no one sees you in person. You know, everyone just sits in front of a computer screen with a camera and your online persona is, it, it can be very different to your, to your individual persona. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a real shame. I think it's a real shame. And you know what I, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think there's a way back. I don't think there's a solution. I think it's just going to be. Oh, I do. Us- I, I, I definitely think there's a way back. And I, I think people like yourself, I think all the people that go to, to uh, Pity Homo, I think um, voices like uh, Hugo Giacome, Sonia Glenn, um, Kirby Allison, people like that, to name but a few, they're leading the way Tom Chamberlain. Good old Tom they, Chamberlain. They are leading the way in that, and I think the more that we can, the more that we can engage in that community and expand it, introduce it to new people, new minds. It, uh, the the more the more you're exposed to something, the more it affects you. You know, the, uh, within the, the clerical vocation, we have this phrase: the, the, the what you repeatedly hear, you eventually believe. Which is why most people think we we you know, preach our sermons very repetitively. Repetitively, uh, There's a reason for it. It's we're trying to, it, the more you hear something, the more you believe it. So as if the more that message of sartorialism gets out, the more we continue to highlight the works of these incredible tailors like yourself and, and so many others in London, the uh, ateliers all over France and uh, Florence, uh, Naples, places like that. And even now with the emerging um, tailors that are coming out of Eastern Europe, if we keep highlighting that, keep working on those things, I think there is a way back from it. And I think we're going to get to a point where when you remove the, the rules of society, eventually things become so bad that society begins to govern itself. And, and, and in the, the absence of all rules and regulations, society creates its own rules, creates its own regulatory bodies, um, regulatory voices. I think we are in that process of society is becoming so casualized that in the end it will become so casual, people will start to look for structure again. Um, and, and we just have to keep at making sure the structure is continuing in the background so that when that voice calls for it, it's ready to step up. And, and we would see a, a very swift return back to... And, and of course, we mustn't forget that fashion... It is a very cyclical thing. So at the moment, all the casual stuff is very fashionable. And it seems to be who can be the most outlandish, most outrageous, most casual in their fashions. But that will turn into another cycle where we start to see the reintroduction of of tailored garments, of, 
you know, more formalized garments, the shirt and the tie returning and all that. Lot. So it's 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 the combination of those two things, which to me are the way in which a more formal, formalized standard or dress code begins to evolve. And and that requires people like yourself, people like myself and, and other voices and so many others around the world to really create events and create experiences where the necessity for those garments, for those, you know, the 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 black tie, as the Americans call it, the dinner suit, as we would call it, you know, white tie events, stuff like that. If we, cre- if we keep creating those events, keep engaging people to be involved in those, the more people dress in that particular way, the more they want to find a reason to dress in that way. Well, I mean, speaking of black tie, I suppose it's a perfect time to to share with the world the uh, the soft launch we've recently had of the uh, the black tie boys club. Some of you may have seen it on your your Instagram feeds, but essentially, myself and the the sartorial bishop here are hoping to launch a series of events, a, a calendar of events, if you will, that all revolve around black tie evenings, black tie events with a very strict non-negotiable dress code and the idea is to to bring like-minded sartorial individuals together essentially so we can go to these events that we you know long to go to but are in short supply yeah anything you want to say about that I'm, I, I'd be honest, I'm really excited about this. The one thing I've said for a long, long time is, um, especially to my wife um, and before she was my wife, I miss the days when I used to go to black tie events. Yeah. And, and because of where I live now in on the far west coast of Wales, they're few and far between here. You know, it's the hunt ball once a year and that's probably about it. But I, I sat one day when I mentioned this to you and we, we began to look at it, just going through the social calendar the season as we used to know it and seeing how many events that used to be a black tie only, which are now, you know, either what they call business casual or um, there's no dress code anymore. And I just thought, you know, I'm looking for a reason to put on, like we were talking about the, 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 the change in, you know, dress codes in the workplace. I'm looking for a reason to put these things on and go to these events. Well, if I can't find a reason, I've got to create the reason. And that's why I began to talk to you about, you know, let's create a calendar of black tie events. And although it's called the Black Tie Boys Club, it's uh, we want um, ladies and, and partners to be involved in incredible cocktail dresses and ball gowns or whatever the, the um, occasion demands. But in the absence of events where we can wear our sartorial finest for such an occasion, yeah, let's create the events and make it happen. And and because of that, I think it will inspire a generation of people to look again at black tie as something other than something I rent to go to somebody's wedding. And, and yeah. that's another pet peeve of mine because I genuinely, genuinely loathe seeing grooms and groomsmen wearing tuxedos at weddings. Yeah, do you know, I get this question all the time. I have half of the phone calls I get to to the landline are usually do you rent suits? And it just bothers me that people even want to wear a rented suit. I mean, I <laughs> let's forget the fit for a second because, you know, all of your suits should be tailored to your own body. But forgetting that, why would you want to wear a suit that's been on another man's body, right? He's sweated in that suit. 
and, you know, and whatever else. And I, I really do not understand the whole, the whole kind of economy of, of rented suits. It just seems bizarre to me that they're even, they're even, you know, financially doable. That fact that people are even going out and buying these is ludicrous to me. Well, that's the Americanization of of the the formal wear industry, and and I say that very specifically because renting a tuxedo was quintessentially a very American thing to do, and certainly gained its popularity within the United States. In the UK, if you didn't, there was a period up until let's say what maybe the late fifties, early sixties, that if you were to go to a black tie event, you had your own tuxedo uh, or your own dinner suit the commercialization and, and I suppose a lot of it was the the move away from um having to go to a tailor to get a suit with the the invention of the the you know ready to wear clothing brought into the UK by Burton's um menswear if I remember rightly they started to do it and then of course the popularity became well you know I might only need that tuxedo once or twice in my life why would I spend all of that money buying it and the rental wear took off. It's the same with, you know, morning suits for weddings and all of that lot. I'm only going to wear it. Most men only think of it as I'm only going to wear it once. So it's cheaper just to rent it for the day and take it back. I haven't got the hassle of the cost involved. I'm not that way inclined. I believe if you're going to if you're going to buy these garments, you'll find the reasons to wear it, um, which is why I own black charcoal and light gray um, morning suits. I own an Edwardian frock suit, which I wear as uh, my clerical frock suit because I'm uh, being a bishop. I don't wear the standard um, priest's frock jacket. And I have, I think, four tuxedos in my wardrobe or three, four, four, two single breasted, two double breasted. The one is a vintage one that I was given and that was made in 1960. Ironically, um, tailor made by Burton's menswear, but probably the best of all of the the, um, the dinner suits that I own. But that ties into the, the necessity for the Black Tie Boys Club. It's, you know, I want to encourage men, uh, and my role in this is to encourage men not to just look at it as, well, that's a suit I rent. It's uh, it, to get them passionate, not only about the events, but about owning their own dinner suit, having the reason to wear it. I used to wear mine just to have a, a candlelit dinner one Sunday a month in my house where we would invite a couple of guests along or we went to another family's and, and we all dressed for that supper. We created the events for the outfits rather than just looking at it as well, you know. And then, of course, that Americanization of, of the whole um, formal way continued into Americans made it popular to wear tuxedos at weddings. And now that's quite a a fashionable thing to do in in the UK and Europe, although I know this the last two seasons, it's been more casual suits, preferably of a a mid-weight tweed-looking fabric as opposed to not, but not actually a a tweed. And we we seem to be going down that road again uh, now, although I I notice a lot of weddings planned for this year, it's, it's tweed trousers and waistcoat and just a shirt. The jacket seems to be disappearing altogether. The only time you should be wearing tweed is if you're hunting grouse. Other than that, there's a there's no excuse to wear tweed. To be oh, completely I, honest, I, I I disagree with that. If you're on a mounted hunt as well, or uh, chasing across the countryside in a point to point, there's a, a a very good need for a tweed um, hunting jacket. I have a 
uh, a huntsman's tweed um, riding jacket, which get uh, I, I haven't ridden for several years, still gets very good wear in the winter. But um, yes, there's a time and a place. Shooting or hunting is is the place and the time for it. Um, certainly not a wedding in the summer, in my opinion. Or anywhere inside the M25, for that matter. Do not wear your tweed to London. It is outrageous. <laughs> well, it's all right um, if you're coming in and out for the day. No, no, it's non-negotiable. No tweed. I, I refuse to accept that. <laughs> well, there's a few members of the upper house that I know that would disagree with you on that one. But thankfully, tweed's not made in the same old fashion, so the upper house doesn't stink the way it used to. Well, indeed, yeah. Yeah, it's... It, it's it's very interesting. I the the Americanization and and the whole renting suits thing is is yeah it's crazy. I've actually my my wedding is in six days, and I have Woo-hoo! got yes indeed yeah I've got two suits for my one wedding. So it's interesting to see the kind of the the polar opposites. You know, there's one side of society that's renting a suit, and then there's the other side that actually has two bespoke suits ready to go for just one event. But yeah, I, I, for me, suiting is is so important. It's it's almost like my my personality. You know, I wear my personality in my suits. As a tailor, really, it's it's kind of it is exactly that. You know, every, well, that, every... that's a good thing as well, though, because you you look at how women dress, and they express their taste with the accessories the you know the, the garment that they pick is part of who uh, you know it shows the character shows their nature but then they accessorize it's the you know the jewelry and the handbag and if they're wearing a hat the hat and the shoes and all of these things and, and men don't have that luxury without looking gaudy or or um you know out of place or or trying too hard or or, or just looking you know, a, a mutton dressed as lamb is the phrase that I would like to use. You know, where, where it's just too much. It's it's you know, you you you've put so much on. It, it you've just gone over the top. And I think that a man's suit is a great way of expressing his character, his style, his tastes, um, in a very subtle way. But it really brings out the the person under the fabric in a very unique way particularly to the eye that spots the subtleties and the nuances of a bespoke or a made-to-measure garment can see the, the, you know, the little accents that a man can produce in, in conjunction with a good tailor that highlight who he is. And then, of course, we have the, the wonderful advantage of accentuating with the most outlandish cufflinks. And, um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of, uh, I used to wear a lot of jewelry, um, but since becoming a bishop some 16 or 17 years ago, I just tend to stick with my, my signet ring and my wedding ring, which are um, normally worn on my left um, pinky, a watch. And now, of course, my bishop's ring on my, my right hand. I don't tend to wear a lot of other jewelry, but I've I've developed a great passion for outlandish cufflinks because they can really highlight uh, an outfit in a very subtle and, and understated way until people pick up on these things. So I think I, I think the way a man dresses within reason can really show off his character and his nature, and even his, even his you know outlandish stylistics, but do it in a way that is very, very 
not in your face. Well, I, I speaking of cufflinks, I heard that someone sent you some very nice cufflinks the other day. Yes, I, I have this uh, this wonderful tailor um, by the name of Sonny Grant of Grant and Co Tailoring, and and um, <laughs> no no plug intended. And he he, uh, he very generously sent me some absolutely exquisite cufflinks. Uh, one pair of which I did wear on a, um, a national broadcast for the Zimbabwean uh, uh, for the country of Zimbabwe a couple of days ago, and uh, another pair I wore for the wedding I attended, where I was best man um, just over a week ago. Um, they are absolutely exquisite and um, really um, perfectly tasteful for my kind of likings and and even down to although i must say this it, it did inspire me because you sent me a beautiful mother of pearl uh tie clip yeah. and now I, now i keep looking at it thinking i need to get a pair of matching cufflinks to go with that and that's another advantage of men's jewelry you know when it's understated like that you can you can really match them together and, and people don't notice it as much as you would seeing you know this garishly outlandish oversized piece of 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 uh, neck furniture or or the excessive amounts of finger furniture that a lot of of women wear in today's modern worlds of of fashion and trends and all of that kind of nonsense yeah well we do have the matching cufflinks on the website so yeah go to grantsullivan.co.uk get them yourself <laughs> but not before the bishop does <laughs> yeah, absolutely so we've actually we've gone 15 minutes over the over the standard time this is meant to be a half an hour episode but hey ho time flies when you're having fun and of course i talk for a living so you know it's um, talking has never been a problem i've I've suffered with uh, as, as my wife says we need to give them something we need to give the listeners something interesting for them to hear <laughs> well indeed indeed so before we sign off i'll ask one final question i'm going to keep it very broad and this is intentional what is your number one fashion tip uh, for fashion tip or yeah fashion tip in... i'm going to keep it very very vague <sighs> and very broad and that's intentional i want to see what you come out with my number one fashion tip for men that's real simple athletic wear is exactly what it says athletic wear i don't want to see trainers with casual trousers or uh, a pair of semi-formal trousers paired with a wife beater or the wrong kind of t-shirt if you're if you're going to wear athletic wear Make sure that you are about to perform some form of sporting activity and do not, under any circumstances, consider athletic wear to be fashion. Do you know what? I, I entirely agree with you. And um, while we're on the topic of athletic wear, men who lift weights, okay, I, I applaud you. I like to lift weights myself. However, stop wearing medium shirts when you are a large just so you can make your biceps look bigger because you are fooling no one and you look stupid. Do you know, you're saying that uh, there's a gentleman that that um, he's something to do with one of the local gyms here where I live. It doesn't matter what the weather is because he's a, a bodybuilder. He's always out in the that tanning cream that bodybuilders put on before bodybuilders show. So he, he always looks dark mahogany. He must spend a good hour or two you know, styling his beard every day because it's there's not a hair at a place and it's perfect. But he always, always has high top Nike 
trainers on with long white socks, mid-calf length basketball shorts, and a wife beater. Uh, every <laughs> single, I've never seen him in anything else. That's fine if you're going to the gym to lift weights, but that is not, in my opinion, an acceptable form of attire for anywhere that is non-sporting activity related. And I agree with you, you know, if you, it, it's, but see that, that thing with a medium t-shirt and large, a lot of that now carries into almost every form of, of, menswear because it's this excessively over tailored look the amalfi that, look mm. yeah and it's it's just you know i don't like slim fit at all I, I think it's i i just i don't think it makes any man look good because if you're if you're the tiniest bit muscular in any way your trousers don't sit right your jackets don't sit right the tighter the better is not a good option. A jacket should fit perfectly. A trousers should fit perfectly. And and I have my jacket sleeves cut a little longer. I I defy the rules of, of shirting as well because I have my shirt sleeves cut about an inch longer than they would be cut if they were the perfect length. And there's a reason for that. It's because I have to, to lift my arms a lot, mostly to do with work. I don't like the shirt and the jacket to rise up and even a good tailor that's cut the jacket, jacket perfect or the shirt perfectly, where there isn't much rise. I just, I just don't like that rise. Full stop. Yeah. So I have them, I have them cut a little bit longer, so that when I do move my arms, there isn't that rise. But I like them comfortable. I like them well tailored, so they they fit where they're supposed to. They're not screaming at every stitch because they're way too tight. And it, it's just that it, it it's the, it's a mindset that that carries from the gym into everyday life and more and more people are doing it and i just think we, we need to stop athletic wear is athletic wear leave it where it needs to be i have one pair of trainers in the house they get used when i go to the gym sometimes they get used when i walk the dogs but i, I have a pair of walking boots for walking the dogs specifically i don't use any garment for anything other than its intended purpose and i think mm. we need to go back to that i agree i agree well on that note uh we are now oh we're now 20 minutes over our allotted time. So we shall say goodbye for now. Thank you for joining us, the Sartorial Bishop. And yeah, hopefully we will see you next week. Take care.